Hey everybody at Church Central West, it is wonderful to be with you today as we carry on your series that Owen and Jonathan and Pete have brilliantly kicked off for us uh, in the book of Philippians, Jesus our joy. And goodness me, the paragraph that I've been given today has so much gold in it, so much stuff that we could spend lots and lots of time looking at. Uh, so many relevant themes, themes uh, like togetherness, partnership, Themes like striving for the advance of the gospel, uh, themes like suffering and knowing Christ with us in our suffering. Uh, we're not going to linger really on any of that, um, basically because we'd be here knowing my tendency to go on a bit, um, probably till your prayer meeting tonight. So um, I'm going to uh, park some of that stuff that comes up a lot in Philippians. So you'll be able to see some of that stuff at a later date, I'm sure. And I want to just hone in on one verse. I want to hone in on one sentence verse 27 and what I'm going to invite you to do with me is just think on that verse for the whole of the time of this talk. I want us to, if you like, get in a helicopter and um, hover around this verse and, and, and go in close and come back out and go around the other side and, and have another view on it and, and then come back and then say, all right, let's have a look at this bit and just try and get a holistic, full, rounded picture of this brilliantly rich sentence in Philippians uh, chapter 1 verse 27. So uh, I'm going to read it. I'll read it a couple of times to let your uh, mind begin to uh, churn it over and then I'm going to offer you three uh, quite challenging uh, observations and applications from this verse um, but we know don't we that when God the Father challenges us it's not to have a go at us or kind of be mean is to bring us up and make us be more and more who we were born to be. And so we want to invite the challenging words of the Bible and not dismiss them. And I'm excited to look at this challenging sentence with you today. So here it is, verse 27. Only let your manner of life, says Paul, be worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Only so this is really important. It's like the big idea. It's the big thing that I want you to focus on. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Three observations then for us from this verse. First thing to notice, this verse teaches us that Jesus is after our lives. Paul here speaks to the Philippians and he hones in not on their ideas or on their beliefs, though those things are really important. He hones in on their manner of life, the way that they live day to day. He speaks about their actions here, their decisions, their responses, their relationships, the way they talk to one another, the way they treat one another what they do with their money, what they do with their time, what they do with their body. He's talking about their very practical, lived out life. See, the Christian faith is not something that can be contained to the realm of ideas and, and, and beliefs, though of course those are important. It, it must bubble up and burst out into a changed life. That is what true followers of Jesus experience. Not a perfect life instantly, but a changed life that bit by bit pursues him in radical obedience. And that is what God is looking for from his church. He's not looking for who can articulate the depths of the gospel in the most clever ways. I really don't think he's bothered about that. 
He's not looking for uh, who can make sure they tick off the most attendance at Christian events, though those can be helpful. God is looking for, are you living for me? See, when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, come agree with me, did he? He said, come follow me. It's an invitation to to up and live with him, to walk with him, to go where he's going and and do the things he's doing. Come follow me. And I think that's the, the call on you this morning from Jesus. In fact, I know that because the call on our lives, whether we're brand new to Jesus, however old or young we are, or whether we've got so much water under the bridge with God, we couldn't explain it all if you gave us all day. We have the same call from God, follow me. I saw this in the life of Peter recently in the Bible. Uh, Peter uh, gets called by Jesus when he's by the Sea of Galilee and he's fishing. Okay, that sounds irrelevant, but it's important. And the way that Jesus calls him is he says to him those words. He says, follow me. So Peter begins his Christian life by being called to follow Jesus by the Sea of Galilee whilst fishing and stuff. Okay. And then all this stuff happens in the life of Peter. He, he goes with Jesus and he sees the most amazing things happen. He sees uh, healings. He sees exorcisms. He sees people flocking to Jesus. He sees his life transformed. He sees his future completely changed and it's all kicking off. And he sees so much tragedy. He sees people turning away from Jesus. He sees death. He sees uh, the bubbling anti-Jesus sentiment growing around Jesus. And in the end, he sees that Jesus is arrested and it comes to a head. And as we know, radical Peter, the rock Peter, uh, loses his nerve very quickly when push comes to shove. And a little girl challenges him and says, do you know Jesus? And he says, no, don't know Jesus. Uh, Once, twice, three times he denies him. And Jesus dies and Jesus rises. And then he comes to the disciples again at the end of John's gospel. And this is what I was reading the other day. And I found this so moving because I saw myself in this moment. He comes to Peter and where is he? Peter is on the Sea of Galilee and what's Peter doing? He's fishing. It's like almost this exact replica scene from when he was first called by Jesus. Except now Peter is full of shame. He's full of uh, disillusionment. He's full of disappointment. He's full of regret. He's full of uh, things that have gone well in his walk with God. He's full of things that haven't gone well. And Jesus comes to him at the same place in the same scene and calls him forward and graciously restores him. And then right at the end of John's gospel, do you know what he says to Peter? He says, follow me, follow me. It's like the exact same scene and the exact same call. It's as if the Holy Spirit is saying through that uh, double-ended bookend of Peter's call that the call is always the same, whether you're new or whether you've seen it all today and every day, it's kind of the same moment always. It's a, are you going to follow me? Are you going to follow me? Because you can and you must. You must come with me and live your life. And I want to say to you, whether you've got so much regret, so much disappointment, the call is fresh again today. Follow Jesus with your life. That's the first thing that this verse shows us is that Jesus is not after just our ideas. He's after our lives and invites us to follow him with them. Here's the second thing. This verse teaches that God wants our lives to be worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. That is of the good news of Christ Jesus. That's what the the word gospel means. This message of acceptance 
of forgiveness, of a clean slate, of connection with God, of uh, the Holy Spirit coming to live in us and transform us, of being swept up into the family of God, of being given a purpose in God's family, in being given a future of eternal life that starts now but goes on forever so that all of our past is dealt with, our present is secure and our future is bright. This incredible good news that comes to us simply by trusting in the person of Jesus and what he's done for us in dying on the cross for our mess and mistakes, in rising again to show us that death is not the end, and then in pouring out his Holy Spirit so that we know God with us. So it's not just an idea, but that it's a relationship and experience that we have with God day by day. That good news of Christ Jesus, that gospel of Christ Jesus, Paul now says, Philippians, you need to make sure that your life is worthy of that good news. Now, what does that mean? We know what it doesn't mean, don't we? Church Central West, come on. You guys know this. I know you know this. We know it doesn't mean and can't mean live a life that is deserving of the good news of Christ Jesus or that earns the gospel. We know that because the very message of the gospel is the complete opposite of that. The message of the good news is that all of those blessings that we've just spoken about that come in a relationship with Jesus come to us not as a reward for good things we do, but as a gift from God who is gracious He's one who has undeserved kindness and he, he pours out all of that to us when we're at our worst. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about it in the life of Paul, who's writing this very sentence. He was met by Jesus, not when he was neat, tidy and clean and attending two out of three of his cluster meetings like a good boy. He was a terrorist who was leading the charge to kill Christians. He was very, 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 very bad at the moment that Jesus came into his life and transformed him. The message of the gospel is not tidy up and earn my love. It's that my love comes to you when you're in a right old mess and then I transform you. So we know that it would be very foolish of Paul to 27 sentences into his letter to the Philippians start saying, you know that amazing gospel of grace? You better make sure you earn it, guys. That is not what Paul is saying. So what is he saying? Because he is saying something that's very important. I think the best way I can explain this is to use a phrase that my mum used to use when she was telling me off, which used to happen uh, quite a lot. Not her fault, my fault. Um, as I was growing up, I was being cheeky. And as I was getting older, I was being uh, rebellious in, in much more ugly ways in my teenage years. And my mum would use this very powerful phrase. She'd say to me, Rich, this just doesn't suit you. And it's a really clever bit of parenting because it's sort of a rebuke, but it's sort of a compliment as well. And it sort of wins you round and is very clever. And she learned that I was quite susceptible to it. Um, but what does that mean? It's not a threat that she's going to kick me out because if I'm not good enough, she doesn't love me anymore. That's not the heart of it at all. Rather, what it is, is she's saying, no, you're my son and, and, and I love you and I know you. And I know who you are and I know who you could be and I know who you're becoming. And this way of living doesn't suit you, Rich. It's not fitting with you. It's like 
old clothes that that, that are just the wrong size and you're trying to squeeze into it or, or like like big clothes that aren't yours but are hand-me-downs and you get into them and it just looks ridiculous you're walking along with your big sleeves it just doesn't fit with who you are and I think Paul is saying something really similar here he's saying there's a way of life that you as a Christian are called to that doesn't earn the gospel but it suits the person who has been transformed by the gospel it, it, it fits with a gospel person it it sits well on someone who has been uh, changed by the love of Jesus and the obvious conclusion is that there's a way of life that you can live as a Christian that jars with the gospel that doesn't flow from Jesus's love and grace and acceptance but actually looks a bit like a massive hand-me-down jumper if a Christian tries to live that way it's not about earning the gospel, but it is about living in such a way that sits well with this message that we profess to believe. Let me give you some examples. You know, the tendency of our society to overlook and oppress those who are in poverty is ugly wherever you see it. It's ugly in a policy. It's ugly in institutions. It's ugly wherever and whoever is doing that but there's a place where it particularly jars to see it a place where it's particularly ugly to see it a place where it's particularly not fitting to see that sort of dynamic going on and that is in the church of Jesus because Jesus and his gospel is a message of good news to the poor Jesus is the one who was rich and became poor so that through his poverty we might get his riches his church when it was born went to those on the margins of society to lift them up and to honour them. It is uh, blessed are the poor. That's the gospel of Jesus. And so everywhere that the poor are overlooked is ugly, but it's particularly jarring in the church because it's not fitting of the gospel. It's not suiting the gospel. It's not worthy of the gospel. I'll give you another example, racial injustice. That is ugly wherever you see it. Right. To discriminate in, in deliberate or in uh, unconscious ways against people because of the colour of their skin, whether that's in systems or institutions or in individual interactions. That is ugly, disgusting and demonic wherever you see it. There's a place where it's particularly jarring to see it. And that is in the church because it doesn't sit with the gospel. It doesn't fit with the gospel. Jesus is someone who, by the way, wasn't white who died to bring down dividing walls of hostility between different groups of people, to unite what is divided in the world to be together in the church. As it says in Ephesians, to create one new humanity out of disparate groups that don't get on because we're all saved by the same gospel. And so when you see Christians not caring about racial injustice, it's just not fitting with the gospel. You see that? I'll give you one more example. To objectify other people for our own pleasure through looking at videos or photographs of them in their most exposed and vulnerable moments. People call it pornography, but I find that tends to legitimise it and make it sound like it's a legitimate thing. It's just really uh, reducing people made in the image of God to objects to be used for our own pleasure. And that's ugly wherever we see that. And that's damaging wherever we see that. But I tell you what, there's a place where that jars more than ever, and that is in the life of a Christian. 
because that is not fitting with the gospel. Jesus walked around taking pleasure in protecting the vulnerable, not objectifying them. He took pleasure in lifting up those who had been treated as objects by powerful religious men of the day and instead bestowing them with dignity and honour. Jesus is the one who on the cross became an object, who was objectified so that people who are objectified might have their dignity restored to them and be known again as children of God. And so when a Christian throws himself or herself unchallengingly into a world of pornography that is not fitting with the gospel it jars now hey thankfully the grace of god is available relentlessly to those who repent who come to god who confess their sins and there's amazing transformation that can happen if that's something that you struggle with but you need to know that way of life is not worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, are there areas of your life that do not suit the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are there areas of your life that don't fit with the gospel? Are there areas of your life that are not worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus? Or Paul and, and God and me would say to you that's not who you are that's not who you could be that's not who you're becoming let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus thirdly and lastly this verse teaches us that the life that is worthy of the gospel is each of our responsibility to live out verse 27 is in the literary form of instruction it's not a, a pithy proverb, it's not a story, it's an instruction, a command that it's intended that someone would obey it. And who is intended to obey it? Look at it again. It says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. It doesn't say, uh, when your cluster leaders sort out how to run a Zoom group a little bit more slick and it all feels that little bit better, and when they sort it out, then that will have the desired effect on you. It doesn't say that. It doesn't let you abdicate your responsibility in that way. It says each of you, however young, however old, let your manner of living be worthy of the gospel. The reason Paul is saying this, I think, is because he he's in prison. Okay, he would love to live their Christian life alongside them and with them and for them, but he can't. He's in jail and he says, so literally, guys, you need to do this because whether I'm with you or absent, there is a call on your life. I'm going to pray for you night and day. I'm in chains thinking about you. I'm pouring into you by writing this letter. But no one can live the Christian life for you. But you need to do it. And I think the same is true for us. Now, I've found that to be a real challenge in lockdown. I have realised just how much of my seemingly vibrant spiritual life was dependent upon activity in the church. And hey, if you are forced by your job to regularly gather with God's people and pray and talk about Christian stuff, you're going to sort of keep churning it out. And that was my life. When I was put in my house for months, suddenly I had to really go back to basics and think, do I have a relationship with God that is living and active myself here and I found that to be very unsettling maybe some of you know that experience that as some of those structures have been taken away it, it, it's actually been a little bit exposing of some lack in your Christian life that's definitely been the case for me 
Now, here's the beautiful thing as we finish. The call of God is not to touch at me and flick me away. Now, the call of God is again, follow me, Rich. There's a new experience. Perhaps you need to go back to basics, but follow me. And, and hey, I know you're not with this person or that person. I know that those things that you really relied on aren't there anymore. But you are called to follow me. Are you going to do that? I think that's the question for each of us. We've seen three pretty challenging things today, haven't we? And if you're anything like me, you're, you're all too aware of how far you fall short on some of this stuff at times, just like Peter was. That's why the amazing news of the gospel is that the mercies of God are new every day. And that invitation, follow me, just as it was fresh and real the first time you heard it, it's fresh and real today. Whatever's gone on, whatever's been happening, follow me. I love the fact that uh, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, that as we work out our salvation, it's God who works in us, that we're not in this on our own, that it is our responsibility, but that God rushes with grace and power and strength to lead us on. And I pray that as this has come to you this morning, there would be real challenge, but there would also be real encouragement that you know that God is inviting you and he's ready to equip and empower you for a life lived for him. My friend at Church Central West, I'm going to leave you with this verse upon the screen and then we'll hand back to Becca. Whoever you are, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus.